Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Matthew Chute. I'm Chute Chi. Today is July 26, 2019. It's around 1.11 p.m. on Friday. I'm coming to you now as the Climate Buddha. Agents of change. So, this podcast is in reference to a video um, that was produced and attached to this podcast where a gentleman by the name of Peter Wadhams was interviewed by a very experienced and good quality podcaster who asked the right questions and and asked the uh, and gave the man an opportunity to speak the subject matter of this of this video was familiar to anybody in the guy McPherson abrupt climate change community. Uh, There was first the question of whether or not Yale was doing the world a service by obfuscating the methane issue the way they had with their presentation. And Peter Wadhams was saying, this doesn't make sense that they would do this. And then pointed out a series of scientific missteps that led Mr. Wadhams to believe that there was some sort of effort, public relations-wise, to uh, make it difficult for the public to know what's going on with the Arctic methane issue. The Climate Buddha has been following the Arctic methane issue for quite some time, and if you go to Facebook and you type in Arctic news and Arctic methane and things like that, you'll find many people who are interested in this subject matter, who are interested in what the science says about Arctic methane. For those of you who are unaware of it, in a nutshell, Arctic methane is a form of ice. It's called a clathrate, and there's layers and layers and layers of it, just so many tons of it that it's actually been explored as a potential hydrocarbon resource where we would dig it out of the seabeds and turn it into a fuel. The Chinese are experimenting with that. There's, There's methane, frozen methane, everywhere. There's so much of it. Just get deep enough into the ocean, a few feet underneath the uh, seabed, and you're going to get some frozen methane. It's just all over the place, including in in tundra. When you talk about a trillion tons, hundreds of billions of tons, the numbers just become irrelevant. Just know that there is so much of of this frozen ice methane in various coastal areas and in the uh, tundras of of Alaska and tundras of Canada and tundras of Russia, and there's just so much of it. We go back in the history, some of the histories of great uh, extinction periods, they think they may have uh, tracked down one of the largest extinction events to a methane release, but it might have been a secondary effect of other things going on. But what methane will do, because it's many, many, many times more powerful than CO2 as a greenhouse gas. In other words, when we put it up the atmosphere, it creates a blanket, a transparent blanket where the sun goes through and it doesn't come out. Heats up the place. Only way to make the blanket go away is to get the methane out of the atmosphere. Methane is a 30-year atmospheric cycle, I believe. It goes through many different phases as it changes through its initial molecular breakdown, and then it turns into CO2. So the overall warming effect of of methane over a long period of time is many times that of CO2. But since there's so much of it, since there is simply so much of the stuff in the Arctic, and that there are scientists 
by the name of Natalia Shikova and her team at the University of Alaska that are now facing defunding stress in the face of the greatest challenge of all humanity is to deal with climate change that we have our top researcher in Arctic methane potentially being defunded. This indicates to me and to Mr. Wadhams that there may in fact be a hidden hand to the scientific market that's affecting the outcome of funding, that's, the, that's affecting the outcome of what gets researched and how that research is actually presented. These questions were brought up by Guy McPherson when he first looked at the IPCC report and said, this is the UN. They're not taking into account methane. They're not taking into account any feedback loops, in fact. In fact, this science is many years old, and there's many things that have happened, and this is just not keeping up with the data. This was obvious because the observed temperatures and the observed changes were just not the same as what was going on in the IPC reports. Is there, is there a form of malfeasance going on? Well, it's difficult to put your finger on corruption sometimes. It's really difficult to put a finger on, on what is the corrupting influence. What, where did it start? One only spend a few moments in the, uh, the world of public relations when you realize that somebody's spending a lot of public relations money hiring public relations companies to do public relations work, which generally mean that your brand or your meme or whatever that you're trying to sell somehow gets integrated into the news media. This news media access through pay and the ability to access what people think is news through putting money into the system has been figured out. This is not a new science. This is not a new industry. There are six main distributors of our media in our all of our lives from movies, TV, and radio. When you look at those six companies, those six companies do not represent a large enough distribution of the power of the media. These are concentrations of power and they have audiences in the millions. These audiences in the millions and the relationship of those audiences to the corporate message has a lot to do with the message's you know, pay scale. The media in some cases is simply a, a vessel waiting to have things placed into it through money. My, one of my earlier efforts to fix the climate change community's problems was $100 million for humanity. And I said, well, this is a $100 million media project. I looked at the issues that the abrupt climate change community was bringing up, and I said, well, this is going to take some money. We simply need to buy some space in the right media outlets and get this message out and have a good opportunity for everyone who has something to say to have their, their voices heard. That change, that issue has not changed. <clears throat> and although I am uh, the author of the hashtag distribute power and hashtag instant radical change and hashtag logical radical, these issues all entwined mean that we still have an information war, that getting the facts of the climate change community out into the general population so that they begin making a decision of whether they are going to want things to change and change quickly. You see, if everybody hears what the climate Buddha already knows for certain, then it's going to be very difficult for them to continue business as usual 
And they're going to ask their leaders, what happened? Why did you let this happen? It's a question that I don't need answered. I just want, I just want them to step down and let us fix this situation as best we can. And through hashtag distribute power principles, using the power of large statistically relevant sample sizes on any issue, we can come up with conclusions and policy that make sense where everyone's participated in. I'm talking about a specialized, democratic, electronic, techno-democracy where a moment on your computer can allow you to vote on policy decisions of what our country's doing and eventually what the world is doing. You'll participate in the outcome of your life. Right now, we're hiring other people to run our lives, and they have done such a poor job at it that we're all facing the consequences of abrupt climate change. I think this failure of a system is basically a failure of an idea, that somehow concentrations of power work. They do work. They do work at certain things and work exceptionally well and efficiently and powerfully, but they don't answer the big question of how that power is being wielded and what choices are we being made that are sound like great ideas in the beginning but don't. Uh, artificial intelligence and the capacity of robots are two things that come to mind right away about whether or not it's a good idea to build these things. But aside from that, building a robot that could cure climate change or building a AI system that could cure climate change would certainly be great. If there's anybody who has that technical ability, now would be a time to do that. But listening to Peter Wadhams in this, in this video, when he's discussing how the, uh, how the issue of Arctic methane is not being covered, not only by the mainstream media, but also by you know, segments of the alternative press concerning the, uh, the climate change issue on the internet, which is a sizable amount of people. The reason why he's doing this is because there appears to be something going on with Yale. The climate boot is on record of questioning Yale's, you know, objectivity in cases of science. If anybody is familiar with the Ivy League schools, none of these schools, they have so much money. They, they're endowed with literally billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars. Their students don't have to pay, you know, uh, any form of tuition. Why? They have, they're worth billions of dollars in endowment. They have, they are, in fact, massive, huge, self-contained hedge funds of money. And these type of big, big zeros, zeros, money, big numbers attract a lot of big players. And it turns out that the oil industrial complex in Harvard are very interested in geoengineering, and they have a project together, of which I don't know how it's going. But it's been announced, and the, the, the oil industry and Harvard are working at fixing climate change. Is there anything wrong with that bedfellow relationship? You know, is it possible that there's a corrupting influence with the billions of dollars that are changing hands on such a project in association with a large university? I don't know. It's difficult to put your finger on how corruption functions and if it's even functioning at all. But in the case of Yale, and in this particular situation, 100% of the graduates from Yale go to one company and seek employment. Yale is essentially a recruiting and training station for a particular type of venture capitalism, a particular type of, of, of purchase-based capitalism, a particular type of capitalism 
that comes from a particular company of which all the Yale graduates are attracted to. This is where we're getting climate information that questions the existence of Arctic methane and whether or not it's an issue. Yale is saying, don't worry about Arctic methane. It's not an issue. It's something so far in the future. But yet Peter Wadhams in this interview, who is one of the most accomplished and real Arctic scientists, who did not come from a public relations machine funded by the oil industry. This man is a pure scientist, and his history of telling people the truth is pretty darn good, because I've been listening to him for years myself. And Peter Wadhams has actually touched the ice and been in the Arctic. He is a real researcher. When he says there's a 20% chance in the next 10 years of a catastrophic methane release, then that's a fact and a number that's not coming from a casual observation by a blogger talking on uh, an iPhone. That's coming from one of the most credible people on the planet. So the Climate Buddha and the abrupt climate change community has been saying the things that Peter Wadhams has been saying, that's just said in this thing for, for almost three or four years. We've been saying, wait a minute, the data is not being uh, taken care of in the Arctic. We need better observations of methane data. The satellite data is coming in showing big blotches of methane. The satellite data, which was even mentioned in Peter Wadhams' thing, is showing that there's a lot of satellite data showing that there's methane being released because we can now see that. So the direct observations of it, the bubbling up, and how that bubbling occurs and the methods of it, that's the kind of science that needs to be done, and that's the kind of science that Natalia Shakova and Peter Wadhams and others are doing, and now they're under uh, stress that they're not given enough money to do. They should be given all the money. There should be more money in Arctic research right now than any other thing on the planet, including cancer research or whatever else gets a lot of people's research money. I don't know what it is but restructuring priorities around Arctic methane would be a good one because this is a question that we need to answer. The question is, is is there a catastrophic release of methane happening now? And will there be one soon? So the abrupt climate change community has been sitting around saying, wait a minute, there is linear change where in a hundred years from now, it's going to be bad. And then there's something called exponential change. And the three biggest things about climate change, the three big ones, the ones that get the press and everybody basically understands, is number one, potential melting of the Arctic and Antarctic and Greenland ice sheets and causing sea level rise. That is a big issue. Our coastal cities are massively, massively in danger. And the danger is just a matter of when. There is simply no way we're going to avoid catastrophic melting and sea level rise. It is happening. It's just happening at a rate that's slow enough now so civilization's not too worried about it. But exponential change has a way of changing that. The next thing that is of great concern is temperature rise and worldwide average temperature. This is causing, and we're seeing now, the evidence of this is overwhelming, that it's causing changes in the Gulf Stream, exchanges in the, uh, in the uh, jet streams, 
ridiculous weather. We're having world record heat each year sequentially over the past five years. World record heat in Australia last year. World record heat right now. One only spend 20 minutes on the computer going through the various Facebook feeds covering extreme weather to see drought, fires, and just tragic weather happening at a scale that has never, ever been seen before. These are telltale signs of initial uh, exponential change. So this is temperature increase. So we're concerned with sea level rise and temperature increase because as the temperature at worldwide average temperature increases, it just gets more and more difficult to live in the climate, not only for us, but for everything that grows and for everything that lives. The third thing is called the feedback loop problem, the triggers. So if it gets hotter, if it gets hotter, and sea level begins to gradually rise. There's other things that are occurring, not just bad weather in Siberia, not just fires in Canada, not just Alaska going up in smoke. No, these are feedback loops that are kicking in. Feedback loops make things spiral out of control quicker using exponential math. So years ago, the abrupt climate change community was going, wait a minute, there are mechanisms that could kick in here and change the climate fused, you know, a couple of degrees in a year. One of them is the aerosol masking effect. And no, you're not going to hear many environmentalists say what I'm about to say, but we need to keep civilization and all of its coal-burning power beautifully spewing all of the pollutions that it is beautifully spewing into the atmosphere for as long as we can because there's an aerosol masking effect where this coal-burning, primarily coal-burning process is cooling the planet. It's saving us right now, and it has to be accounted for when we could do any form of planned deindustrialization. So the idea that we have to control the planet's temperature to not only control sea level rise, to control unexpected weather, but we also have to protect us against uncontrollable feedback loops kicking in, trigger points that are like driving off a cliff you cannot stop. Methane is one of them. Another is called the upper uh, atmosphere. It's tropospheric uh, heating, uh, uh, tropospheric um, heating in relation to moisture. This is a physics problem. Um, the uh, change of albedo when you burn all of a forest into black, it gets a lot hotter because it absorbs the temperature. If you get rid of all the uh, snow in an area, it's dark on the land. If the, all the glaciers melt, then you just have hot rocks to keep heating up. But the biggest and the scariest and the most warned about and the most ignored in this particular video with Peter Wadhams discussing methane was the great danger of what's known as an ice-free Arctic or a blue ocean event. There are so many websites discussing this issue because we're looking at the death spiral of the ice in the Arctic right now, whether in September or August or October, um, that we find the minimum sea ice and then it begins to add back on as the, as the weather turns towards winter that cycle of melting in the summer and adding back on a winter has been going on forever. There has been a change in sea ice 
extent forever through the seasonal changes. But now we're seeing, now, 2019, we're seeing the sea ice get very thin. Thin, just very, very thin. Coverage way, way down. Really, really thin. All old ice is melted. So there are some saying that there's a possibility of a free, of an Arctic having no ice whatsoever, a big, huge, shiny blue ocean next year, or maybe the year after that. Or maybe there's still a possibility this year. We've got incredibly strange things going on with the weather, and we could have another heat wave in the Arctic and could melt all the ice in a month. This process was not discussed in the art and the, the uh, podcast by the interview with Peter Wadhams because there's a release of something called latent heat. There's a release of something called latent heat in the Arctic. When the Arctic goes from a solid block of ice to a liquid. The experiment, the physics experiment done in high schools across the country is you take a glass of water, fill it with ice, you put a, put a uh, thermometer in the ice. And you'll see that that thermometer stays around 32 degrees pretty consistently for a long period of time, as long as there's ice. And then that ice melts. And once that ice melts, that water then will continue to heat itself, um, you know, beyond 32 degrees. So anyways, this is going to occur in the Arctic. The ocean, the Arctic huge ocean, is not going to have enough ice in it to keep it cold. So we're going to have, instead of a 32-degree Arctic, we could have a 40-degree Arctic, where the entire Arctic Ocean goes up 10 degrees because there's no ice in it. And then winter will come. We have no exact idea what this is going to do to the world's climate, but I am not hearing anybody say this is good news. How rapidly the climate could, un could unravel from this latent heat of, of ice turning from solid to a liquid, this release of this trillions of joules of energy and heat into the atmosphere. What this is going to do to worldwide climate is going to be nothing other than catastrophic. So the abrupt climate change community has been saying, yeah, we got this methane problem. Boy, if that methane happens, but just simple temperature rises is kicking in too many other feedback loops that could kick in. And the ice-free Arctic is just one of those big, huge, bright, bright blinking lights going, look at me, this is going to be bad. Peter Wadhams' article and Peter Wadhams' interview is so highly recommended by the listeners of The Climate Buddha that spending the half hour listening to him instead of me is probably a better use of your time, but you've already listened to me this long. So do yourself a favor and listen to what one of the number one scientists in the entire country is saying about the future of our civilization, of our species, and of life itself on the planet he sounds an awful lot like the same people that I've been listening to in the abrupt climate change community. And this is a man who did not sound like the people in the abrupt climate change community three and four years ago. 
He was talking about incremental changes, making differences in the way that we could use energy and saving a little bit of energy here, reducing our footprint, and all the long-term incremental changes where we could keep business as usual, but just manage it better. The Climate Buddha has recognized years ago that there is simply nothing we can do with the existing system that's going to fix this because it costs too much carbon to keep the civilization going to do these solutions. The kind of industrial solutions that have been proposed are nothing short of ginormous investments in civilization's infrastructure and extraction industries in order for them to, to build the things that they want to build. We don't have that kind of time. The Climate Buddha has recognized a short period of time available for keeping civilization keeping our economic system together and keeping all of the necessary pipelines functioning so that people can survive. There's nobody in, in modern society that's not living from one market to the next. Once these markets empty their shelves, civilization is going to have a very difficult time functioning. And we won't be able to do anything to fix climate change. We won't be able to do anything with all the people who are harmed by climate change if civilization collapses. We have to keep the system going long enough to find a solution. But that doesn't mean we don't have to change. Hashtag instant radical change means it's time to make changes. Implement a system and a grid of usable political checks so that we can eliminate the corrupting systems immediately. We need a system-wide change that gives power to a technocratic elite that know the subject matters they're voting on. There is no business of having people vote on judges just because we watch one on television. This is a, this is a vote that should come from lawyers. There's nobody who needs to vote on how a bridge is built. This is something that engineers have to discuss. There's nobody that needs to discuss of whether or not someone needs a brain operation. This is where doctors need to discuss. And there's nobody that needs to figure out what to do with our military industrial complex who isn't a qualified human being who thinks that this power is being wielded in, indiscriminately and against the best interests of humanity. So let's have control of what they do from people who are paying for it. This democratic control process is such a technological day at the beach, the software exists, we could simply run the entire community. Every single level of our government can be run better on something that looks like Facebook and Wikipedia. There's enough technological capability to just software our government and make everybody accessible and participant in it. The best way to do this is through a universal wage where all people, all people are given money to live everywhere. There's enough money to do this. The derivatives market is a $500 trillion market. There is enough money to pay for anything. Most especially, there's enough money to pay for people, to keep them alive and functioning and in a way that they can be comfortable in the way that they're living so they do not have to be stressed out when they have to make the decisions that are not going to be easy to make. By the ruling class deferring their current status of owning everything and telling us all what to do and rigging every single market in their in their favor. They can easily step aside when they realize that there's only so deep you can dig your bunker and that there are names and addresses attached to their lives and that the history of pitchforks coming at their door is far too frightening to contemplate. 
This can all be absolutely fixed right now. It can be fixed right now and where the security of the ruling class can be assured, where there'll be no danger for any sort of backlash or blowback. All of this can be fixed now so easily while, in, while the infrastructure's in place instead of losing billions of us to disease, war, famine, and bad managerial decisions, we can keep billions of us alive much longer. Much longer. The solution is understanding that this information requires a logical decision-making process where anybody exonerably would be led to the conclusion that the existing systems have failed profoundly to protect us against the big questions in life. And those big questions right now is how soon do we have until climate change destroys our civilization to the point where we no longer can survive? How long do we have? How many hurricanes? How many heat waves? How many frozen tundra events? How many releases of methane? And worldwide temperature increase? How many days of 120 degrees in New York City will it take for the boys at Yale to decide whether or not the capitalist system that they put together and the smartest guy in the room, the smartest guys in the room use their biggest brains to turn it all into this big money-making machine that gobbled up every square inch of a resource that was polluting us to death. Our entire economic system is based on the oil industry and has always been based on oil, coal, and other extraction industries. This is how we've been doing it. We knew back in Carl Sagan's day and before that and before that and before that that there would be consequences. Well, they're come and do now. The climate Buddha is sitting here telling you that there's not much we can do about it given the time frames that I'm talking about, but we can establish a way to make the transition through this crisis after crisis. We don't need a FEMA system that's run by one guy, but a FEMA system that's run by all of us a distributed power grid, a distributed solution system where mobile populations can be, can be transplanted as needed. There's just going to be places where you will not be able to grow food. There's just going to be places where there are going to be years before you'll ever be able to grow food. There's just going to be places that are not going to be habitable for humans. So we have to move. We have to have mobility. This is the, this is the enlightened choice. Of course, there are other things we can do with this massive population destabilization from climate change. We could, well, we could go to war against them. We could say, okay, if you're starving to death and you have no food and your land has become too parched from climate change to ever grow, then we're just going to, we're going to kill you. We're going to use our weapons of mass destruction and kill you. Uh, this preventing people from getting over the border by shooting them, this method of killing other people as a way to protect the American uh, way of life has a history of that. But this is a situation where what are we protecting? We're all in this together. There will be no place in the United States or the Netherlands or Russia or China or Australia that is not going to be profoundly affected by climate change that the effects of climate change for the Japanese population that is living near the seaside resorts that is going to be facing a meter or more sea level rise in 20, 10, 20 years, they're going to be struggling at the same level as the 
farmer in Kansas who looks across his dusty fields having no rain there in months. We're all in this together. There is no separation. There is no hierarchy. There are no us and them. It is all we. The Buddhists know that there is a Dharma ending period that when the teachings of Buddha become less and less relevant and more and more importance is placed on a practical system for keeping humanity and all of the things about our ecosystem as alive as we possibly can given the faces that we have, given the circumstances that we have created through the unchecked, uncontrolled, undiscussed, unvoted on policies of the greed-based economy. Please listen to the Peter Wadhams tape, this, the interview. Please listen to the, the Climate Buddha as well. Climate Buddha is deeply in need of economic support. If anybody enjoys this presentation and has some money, please share it with the Climate Buddha. Keep more of this going on. I'm on Patreon. I have other ways you can literally, you can literally send uh, to my PayPal account, chuchi at yahoo.com, money, anything would be appreciated to keep me up and functioning. I'm reaching periods of desperation, and it's my hope that my listeners appreciate my efforts enough to be able to be rewarded economically. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Matthew Chute. I'm Chu Chi, and I'm coming to you now as the Climate Buddha. Today's date is July, August 4th, I believe. Hold on here, August 3rd. It's a Saturday. The Climate Buddha wants you to know that I've promised you solutions to complex problems. And those solutions have a certain simple elegance to them that makes sense when you just give it a little bit of thought. Well, my next proposal for handling the problems of our society is there's this thing called the uh, reaction to societal destabilization. And there's this thing that happens in reaction to society getting very out of balance where a lot of haves and a lot of have-nots. And these things have to do with the existence of the infrastructure of the armies within our communities. These fully formed armies of various licensed state agencies that are armed to the hilt against the people of the United States the federal agencies that are armed to the hilt who are their, their, their ultimate target is the people of the United States all of these agencies that are armed to the hilt are there to protect the interests of the of the uh, well off and the elite and the connected and themselves this 
idea that this huge standing army amongst us in both completely sanctioned and obvious positions of authoritative power or other positions of power that are not so obvious. You don't really know what a local branch of government is doing in your area for the most part, especially the long, long list of badges and names and association with those uh, organizations. So as a result, the, the Climate Buddha says that the way to pacify this situation um, is to finally admit and agree that deep, rich concentrations of power are truly the best thing that we can do as a species and recognize me, Chu Chi, as that concentration of power. If every single uh, state governmental agency and every single policing function throughout all levels of government in the United States were to simply surrender their weapons to me and let me decide what to do with them. And then we could do that with the folks in Russia and all the rest of the countries around the world where they just simply give me all of their weapons, all of their ammunition, and let me decide what to do with it. If concentrations of power are truly that successful, then you can realize how successful I will be once I am given all of the weaponry that exists in the United States government given to me, mine. I get to do with it as I want to. Where I want to put it, where I want to keep it, how I want to use it, whether I want to keep it or repair it, up to me. It's all mine. If I want to let other people play with the stuff that I have, use it. Well, they'll have to ask me, won't they? Because it'll be mine. And what we'll have is for the first time in the history of all humanity, the f absolute fantasy of every single dictatorial leadership person in the entire corporate and the entire corporate and government world they'll get to have a hero and that hero will be Chu Chi I will be the central point of power where every single weapon in the Chinese army is given to me every single weapon that exists in the entire planet will be given to Chu Chi to do what I want with it I get to decide what we get to do with it. I get to decide whether we're going to use it, who we're going to use it on, if we're going to let other people use it. It's going to be my choice. I get all of that. And the reason why this makes sense is that you can see what the other method has done. We've been miraculously lucky living in the privileged empire state of the United States, which has successfully used its policies, international policies, uh, in association with extraction industries and their relationship to our military-industrial complex as it also relates to uh, the hegemony of the uh, dollar as a standard bearer. These military adventures were discussed in a book by General Schmedley Butler literally a hundred years ago called War is a Racket. 
So I can end that racket. Simply provide me with the necessary information so that I can manage all of the weapons in the entire... Then, as far as the NRA is concerned, or the personal ownership of weapons, you're wondering, what do I need to do if, if society's collapsing, climate Buddha? What do I need to do to be safe? And unfortunately, the statistics indicate that if every single person in the entire planet was to, sub, was to surrender their weapons and give them to me, everybody would be a lot safer. Yes, there will be huge disparities of size when someone who has got malice intent and they're very, very large, they will have the distinct advantages that all silverbacks have had through the generations. But I will be that silverback. Provide me with all of your weapons. Give them to me. Give me all of your ammunition. All of that will be my responsibility to do something with it. I get to choose who gets to use it. This will be an example of concentrations of power that has never been imagined before until now. Chuchi, all weaponry, military, private, everything. I get it. It's mine. I get to use it. I get to do what I want with it. I get to decide who gets to play with it. This is a situation where if concentrations of power are as fantastic at they, as they are, then the greatest concentration of power in the history of all humanity needs to take place now. And you know why it needs to take place now? That Chuchi's idea of concentrating power with him right now? A man who's developed a multifunctioning religion that welcomes all fates and understands that there are methods to arrive at decent forms of philosophical truth and usable forms of mathematical truth. This process of my religion makes me uniquely suited to make sure that everybody will be happy once I have all the power. Every single weapon that's ever been produced that is in existence today that can fire or shoot from cannons to muskets to machine guns to Uzis, I get them. They're all mine just sacrifice them. And the reason why is that we don't have any time to do anything else. We really don't. We've, uh, the amount of burning that's currently going on in Russian Siberia, uh, the, the, the maps showing square mileage of areas inflamed, there is just territory the size of Texas. It's on fire in, in Russia right now. And it's just a big fire. And this is going to cause a big form of localized heating. Because it changes the albedo of the ground when everything's blackened. That area gets hotter and hotter and hotter and it heats up the local area and the local area's heat radiates into the system further and we have climate change from loss of albedo, but we're also releasing so much carbon. There is more carbon dioxide being released in these ginormous forest fires, although the, the dreams of our solutions to climate change being planting trees that you can see that they burn they sequester carbon until they burn and then they release it back so like it's not a magical panacea we've got nothing that takes carbon out of the atmosphere and buries it underground in a location that'll never come out it doesn't exist it does not exist there is nothing that does that oceans soak up a lot of carbon dioxide that finding out how much that amount is and all the issues have been one of the real key components of not understanding the climate models accurately enough. 
turns out the computer models do a pretty good job, but they haven't done a good job in the last about five years. They just haven't caught up with massive increases in temperature, worldwide increases in temperature, and we haven't caught up with all the reasons for that. The reasons why I haven't come up for all the reasons is that is that we're experiencing something called abrupt climate change. It's a different science. It's not about climate change. It's about abrupt climate change. What are the mechanisms that are causing that? So when you decide to give Chu Chi all of your weapons, all of them, just give me all of them. I need every single weapon in every single army, every single country, every single nation, every single private owner needs to give me the guns so that we can have a safer world because we're facing climate change that's going to destabilize the weather where you are. We're facing climate change that no matter where you are on earth, you're going to know it. You're going to look out the window and you're going to go, wow, there's something different with the weather and it's not good. This is going to mess up growth cycles the way the plants live. There's something going on. It's either too wet, too dry, too hot, too windy or whatever the two is. It's a bad situation for life on earth and anybody with a half a brain is going to look out the window and say wow we can't live like this for very long can we this is the existential question about climate change and it is the only question that matters we have incredible people discussing the eventual and predicted collapse of our economic systems. <clears throat> Anybody who has spent the time to get a grasp on international finance realizes that this is one big money sport, gambling house, house of card, Ponzi scheme, backed up by military force, that's structurally making this whole thing work through violence and you go wow this is simply no way to run the place we gotta give everybody wages so they can live universal wages the universal alignment wage system is wages for everybody not just the americans every person on the planet has a wage to give them whatever they need to live in the area that you're at, in, in, in Florida, for me, it would be about 25000 to $27,000. And everybody who wants it would get it. Now we have areas of the planet where people are living in subsistence levels. They'll get enough to live beyond their subsistence. Anyways, this is the basis of an economic system. Whatever that number is, that's the number we have to work with. And that's the one number that everything else is based on. And then we have to deal with allocations of resources. Another method, of course, with concentrations of power is to really concentrate power in the hands of the few. So give me access to all resources. And let me decide how we're going to divide them up. And I'll make all the hard decisions about who gets fed and who doesn't when we're in scarce scarcity. All the weapons... Give me all the responsibility for managing all the resources on the planet. I can do a better job than the system that we have today. Me sitting with an internet on-ramp <clears throat> and a phone call <clears throat> like a popular game show can do a better job than what's currently being done. All of our systems 
relying upon deep, rich concentrations of entrenched power handed down through some sort of magical handshake of both blood and philosophy and cooperative crimes that they seem to all gather together to stick through thick and thin to support one another's agendas. This hasn't worked. I can do a better job. Give me 10 minutes on an internet on-ramp. I could structure the entire society in a a multi-level, full representational democracy, policy control to the voters. No suits between policy. Just, should we go to war? Let's vote on that. Here's the information about it. Yes, no. Oh, we are? Okay, great. No more decisions being made behind our backs. The policy of the United States has been handed over to a bunch of suits who have mishandled it and done a, such a horrible job. They haven't done a thing about climate change, have they? They haven't just, they haven't done a thing about it. And now we're looking at two years, less, months, weeks, 18 months, less than five years, way less than a decade. We're looking at tragic weather consequences that could have been averted 25, 30 years ago through simple incremental change passed all that we've passed all of that we've created all these tipping point momentums that are just unstoppable <clears throat> worldwide temperature increases rapid worldwide temperature increases we don't know what's going to do we know it's not going to be good rapid heating complete destabilization we could have a permanent hurricane we could have you know a permanent rainstorm we could have just <clears throat> tragic drying heat uh, we have no predictability in the swings of extremes that could be coming. It's going to be difficult to keep society together during this time. Sacrifice all weapons to Chuchi. Give me complete power of all resource allocation. If concentrations of power work, they'll work best when Chu Chi is in power.